Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. Today it's my pleasure to welcome Nathan Lindbergh, who most people would know as the face of Twitch at the various esports conferences across the country. Well, he's now jumped to Super Awesome, which is a company owned by Epic Games. He's going to walk us through his career arc, give some specific insights on how brands can effectively engage this esports audience, and give us a hint of what is on the horizon for Super Awesome. Let's talk to Nathan. Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC DLC Drop Drop Podcast. Podcast. All right, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. It is my pleasure to welcome Nathan Lindbergh, who is newly the commercial lead for gaming for Super Awesome. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks, John. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. When I say my friend, I mean that loosely in this context, because this is actually the first time that we've ever spoken, and I'm excited to have our first ever conversation be recorded. I know who you are. I've been in the audience many times, but we just haven't directly connected. Uh, You had a big announcement recently on LinkedIn, and I I shot my shot, man. I was like, (laughs) I don't know if Nathan's ever heard of me other than, um, you know, Oh, we're first connections on LinkedIn, but I'm so grateful to have you and to tell all you've learned and share your story with the audience. I think it's a great example of the industry. I think that, you know, a lot of people, at least in other areas of sports and entertainment and stuff like that, people seem very uh, established, hardened, curmudgeon-y at times. Yeah. Uh, But I will tell you, like, what has always fascinated me by the esports space is people's willingness to to take a meeting, to have a conversation, to uh, encourage people to get involved. And I think it's one of my favorite things about uh, the gaming ecosystem in general. Video games always seems to be an inclusive environment. Yeah. Um, You know, it's like, hey, there's always an extra controller. There's always an extra place to play. And it's just, it's always great when people reach out. I I mean, I, I, you know, sometimes I think, you know, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into it later with my pants, but I'm sure that I'm not always looking like I'm approachable with, with pants like that. But I always feel like, you know, that for those of us that have had any remote success in this space, uh, we owe an obligation to help other people come in to expand the tent. Uh, yeah. And more importantly, to also like, you know, train the, the future generation of people. I think that there's so many great people out there who have come into gaming and esports in the last year, in the last five years, in the last 10 years. It's really, I think, from my perspective, uh, an important part of, you know, making this space grow, making it successful is only done by bringing in more people to think about it differently. Uh, And that's something that I've always really appreciated about our, our space is that like, yeah, you can shoot your shot and more times than not, someone will respond to you and say, hey, absolutely. I'd love to spend 15 minutes or 30 minutes, whatever it is. I'd be happy to talk. Obviously, you shoot your shot and you're, you know, you're, you're mean about it or you're disrespectful <laughs> or whatever. I, people are very quick to be like, okay, cool. You're out. But I have, I have never been in an industry that I feel is more uh, w- open and willing to help young people get jobs, help young people to get connections, help mm-hmm. folks to just put two and two together. Uh, it's, it's different. I think it's something that I, I really, I don't, I, at times take for granted. And at times like this, when I get to do an opportunity, like, you know, get on on this show and be a part of this, it reminds me of how great this industry is because how we could easily get connected and talk about things and have a good time. 
Yeah, and you know, it's one thing to uh, talk about it. It's another thing to do it. So it's super cool to like, you know, my experience with you is see you living like what you really appreciate about the industry. And that says a lot about how, who you are as a person. I I, I got into the space uh, about five years ago through GameStop. I was just, you know, right place, right time, you know, hired to lead partnerships. And my first day they said, John, we want you to figure out esports for us. And... Boy, did I realize very quickly what a great launch pad that was. And so I talked to a lot of people about how to get in the space. And I'm curious to your take here. My take is it's all about your motives. It doesn't matter if you've been a gamer your whole life. It helps. Or if you've never picked up a controller. Like you should, you know, it does help if you actually have a passion for the space and stuff. But if you are somebody who, you know, you've got an expertise in something that's relevant to the industry you really genuinely want to serve this community, be a part of what we're doing. Like those arms are open for you if you have the right motivation. Now, if you don't have the right motivation, it is completely the opposite. But what what is kind of your experience with uh, folks, especially as this is rapidly increased over the last five, six years of people wanting to get in this space because it's the new hot thing. It's the, the buzzword esports twitch these other things what's your take on how people can effectively get involved yeah i think a lot of people make the mistake of narrowing esports down and gaming down to like specific things right like i have to work at epic i have to work at riot like mm-hmm. if i'm not working at at, at at team liquid i'm not in esports and i mm-hmm. think a lot of people make that mistake of really narrowing down what the industry can be and your ability to interact with it a lot of what i tell partners is like hey if you're in marketing like has your company thought about esports? Have you thought about trying to find ways to connect those dots? Um, you know, are there opportunities for you to help an organization grow from that perspective? Yeah. Uh, you know, I've I've spoken at a lot of different universities and stuff like that. I try very hard to um, you know give time with those things and and give people an opportunity. And and I've been very fortunate to help multiple graduates and multiple folks in different fields get into the, the gaming and esports space. I think a lot of people. I think a lot of people tend to discredit their own time and effort. You know, being a moderator in Discord actually has value. Being a moderator and a, and a, and a judge in an esports tournament, you know, unpaid volunteer positions, they have merit and they have value and, and they're actually fairly easy to get. And so I think a lot of people think of themselves as like, I have to get in and I have to be the sales guy or I have to mm. be like the general manager of an esports team. And it's like, actually, there's a lot of places that you can go and get experience and learn about it. And, and, and it's really about trying to figure out how to solve problems in the space. I think, you know, your yeah. point about grit and merit, I think is, is very astute in that a lot of what I tell students is I'm like, esports and gaming is just, it's still so early in the process. It's so early in the generation. Mm-hmm. Like, Think about problems that exist, right? Talk about them, cover them, do a podcast, write yeah. articles. Like there's so much that you can do. The the ability to to give out information has never been better than it is today. True. Uh, and it's only going to get easier to to disseminate information. And so if you want to establish yourself as someone of credible value, all you have to do is start putting out your thoughts and opinions and, and insights out there and, and you'll find that people will gravitate towards it. So I think when people say, oh, it's really hard to get into esports, it's like, I, 
that's a little bit of a defeatist attitude because I think there's a lot of ways that you can get involved and, and get opportunities. Is it hard to get a job at a game publisher? 100%. Yeah. Is it hard to get a job at an esports org? 100%. But I think for those that say, hey, I want to be involved, I want to be included, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of ways to do that. And there's a lot of different avenues and areas that you can get involved in uh, throughout the industry. And I think that that's yeah. like, the biggest mistake that I see people making is getting very narrow-minded of like, I have to do this. This is what I have to do. I'm, I'm destined to be the head of esports at Riot. And it's like, that's one job. <laughs> <laughs> there are 300 million people in the US. Like, right. you know, like, like, let's take stats here into account, right? I'm not saying you can't be. But I'm also saying, like, would it be terrible if you were the esports coordinator, uh, you know, at uh, at Take Two working on NBA 2K League? That would be an incredible job in esports, too. The DLC Drop podcast is sponsored by Ice Shaker. I've been a huge fan of this brand for the past few years, ever since I met founder Chris Gronkowski. Uh, What I love about this product is the brand story, the functionality, and the customization. iShaker is a Shark Tank company invested in by Mark Cuban and Alex Rodriguez, owned by NFL players Rob Gronkowski and Chris Gronkowski. I love using my iShaker anytime I'm driving to the podcast studio, I'm going skateboarding, or I'm at the gym. No matter what I'm doing, it just does a great job of keeping my drinks hot or cold. The customization for iShaker is something that's super unique. You can get any name, just about any logo engraved onto your iShaker and delivered to you within just three to five business days. Get your own DLC Drop branded iShaker at iShaker.com forward slash DLC Drop. Save 20% on all iShaker products with the discount code DLC Drop. And one, one thing that is similar to traditional sports is that there are so many disciplines that touch the esports uh, industry. So if you could be in marketing, you could be in PR, uh, you can be a videographer, you can be a broadcaster, you can be in graphic design, uh, many, many other uh, jobs and disciplines associated with. And mm-hmm. I think, honestly, I had a conversation with somebody uh, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast about this. A lot of our industry is focused on that front-facing job, like being at the front of the stage, talking on the mic, wearing the cool pants. <laughs> and our industry honestly needs a lot of help on the back end with these professional business practices to make sure that we're growing sustainably, that we're, you know, supporting monetization for teams and other, you know, uh, players in the space in ways so that uh, this can grow and be the future of entertainment like we like we believe it is. Yeah, I talked to a lot of people about that. And, and I, I, this is a common theme I have with, with, you know, when I was managing my team at Twitch. But I think there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's eloquence to it. But it's, it, do you want to be rich or do you want to be right? And those types of, of mentalities, I think, are very important to think about, right? If you are someone that can bring sustainable business value to esports, <laughs> you are going to be very wealthy because they need help figuring those things out, right? To right. your point, right? Creating the back end, the, the operations, like all those important roles are very important and very, very valuable. The front of house, like face stuff, a lot of that like, is a result of years and decades of work behind the scenes sure. to then be able to have those face, you know, the front facing positions. And at half the time, it's more about, you know, 
spinning PR buzz than it is about anything else. And I think it's really fascinating. If you take a look at it, there's a lot of problems that organizations need to solve for. And they're all different, whether it's team-based, whether it's publisher-based, whether it's broadcasting-based, there's a lot of problems available to be solved. And the people that solve those solutions are going to be the ones that are going to be really wealthy in the space Mm -hmm. uh, and can do whatever they want after that. And I think that's a really interesting aspect of thinking about this industry differently than just going at it and saying like, cool, I want, I want to be this. And I'm very fortunate, you know, Bob Iger is an, is an Ithaca college alum. There you go. Uh, We love to talk about that, but he gave a, he gave a keynote at USC and he talked a lot about like, don't let your current self dictate where your future self is going to end up. And I think a lot of times people make the mistake of putting you know, something out there of like, when I'm 50, I need to be running a company, right? Or doing this. And Mm -hmm. so often your career takes very odd (laughs) trajectories and you got to trust your gut. You got to work with it. And a lot of times you'll be surprised where you end up. Um, (laughs) 100%. I I can attest to that. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, I always, you know, and I always talk about myself, like I graduated from Ithaca. I had, I was, uh, you know, I was Ithaca College television radio personality of the year. I was, you know, I I won a sports Emmy for broadcasting. Like I was convinced I was going to be the next sports center anchor. I had my catchphrases worked out. I was ready to rock, you know, I was ready to rock and roll. And then I realized that you don't just like leave college and go to ESPN. You know, that's not how, that's not how it works, right? <laughs> yeah. You go to, you know, Montgomery, Alabama, you go to small markets, you work your way up, you build a resume and over time you get there. And I just was like, okay, well, that's, that's a, that's a lot of work. Um, and you know, at the time my girlfriend, now my wife was moving out to California and she's like, I'm going to San Francisco. You want to come with and that's what I really, you know, I, I got a job at, at UM. I got a job in the, in, the, in the gaming space adjacent, but then I got into sales and I, and I found that sales was something that I really liked to do. I like to connect with people. Yeah. I like to do these things. But, you know, if you were to ask a <laughs> 22-year-old Ithaca <laughs> graduate, Nathan Lindbergh, like, where are you going to be when you're 40 mm-hmm. if working at Epic Games on, you know, on the Fortnite creative ecosystem and, and helping to guide esports and everything else. Like what told you you were crazy, you know, yeah. I'd be like, there's no way, like I'll be doing something with, you know, a sports team or something like that. But, uh, the world changes, the world evolves. And uh, I think that that's a really important guidance for people is like, don't, don't pigeonhole yourself now of where you're going to end up. Trust your gut. Go with what you like and do what you want. That's great feedback. And I'd love to dive a little bit into your personal career and how you, you did actually make it here. For the few people listening who don't know who you are already, basically, if you were at an esports industry conference, and this is my perspective, <laughs> so you know you can add to it or correct me. But my perspective has been, if you're at an esports industry conference and you're looking to get in touch with the guy from Twitch, look for the pants, you know? And so Nathan is very well known for his, his unique attire. By the way, obviously, we're, I mean, yeah. So your pants are behind you today. I'm not going to ask any more questions than that. But it's been hard for all of us. Uh, <laughs> for me in particular, with the fact that the camera cuts off usually right around the chest area. I was going to say, yeah, you're on all these Zoom calls. You have to switch it up to the top, but you stayed true to yourself and you, you kept it uh, below the belt line, as we'll say. And we won't go any further on that. Um, 
but so you were this person who you spoke at so many conferences. I was in many of those audiences and really enjoyed learning a lot from you. A lot of people would say, boy, to be the guy at the conference on the stage who's representing Twitch, that's got to be a dream job. How did you find yourself there from Ithaca College? Yeah, uh, I didn't I didn't find myself there by telling myself where I was going to end up. That's for sure. Hmm. Um, but, I, you know, I, I, I was very fortunate, right? Like I have a wonderful wife who was incredibly supportive of me and said, hey, I'm moving to California. That's where I want to be. I was I had a full time job at a radio station in Ithaca, New York. Mm-hmm. I was the midday host for a light light rock station and I was the afternoon drive host for a country station. And yeah, I mean, I just living the dream, man, talking on a microphone all day. It's, it's not the worst thing in the world, as you know. I've uh, enjoyed it so far. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I moved out there and I, and I took a chance and I ended up at, at Universal McCann as a, as a, you know, assistant media planner and media planner uh, working on Microsoft's like IT security system centers, like really unsexy IT business. Yeah. But it was really actually helpful for me because when you talk about marketing 101, defining an audience, you know, going after that audience, find the best places to reach that audience. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually a lot easier to do that than it was to work on more mass market programs. Um, so I really actually enjoyed my time on that. And in my time at UM, it was really enlightening. I was there for about 18 months and, you know, we were out at a, at a, at a client dinner, rep, uh, rep uh, dinner. And, you know, one of my bosses was like, when are you going to get in sales? I was like, I don't know, man. Sales is scary. Like, I don't want to do that. It's, and she's like, you're destined for sales. Mm. So just get over that, get a sales job. Like you are going to be great at sales. Uh, and that was really like the, the, the push that I needed. And one of my reps uh, worked at IDG um, and was working on like, you know, computer world uh, magazine. But he okay. said, Hey, one of our sister publications is looking for account executives. I think you should apply. And I think you'd be a really good fit. And I was like, okay, well, what's the, you know, what's the magazine? Um, and you could kind of see, I took one of the issues with me, one of the blown up ones, but it was game pro magazine, which I had read as a kid. And so oh, cool. I was like, wait a second, like, I get to go and, and, and pitch and, and sell and convince people to buy ads in a magazine. I think is like, the coolest thing ever. Like, okay, I'm in for that. Uh, and so I started there. I worked there for a couple of years. Uh, my boss quit on the day that I joined, um, which was a, a very uh, <laughs> normal theme in my uh, career was uh, opportunity <laughs> by uh, attrition. Interesting. Um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, my, you know, I was zero sales experience was given the LA Texas territory and was told to go out and figure it out and got a lot of great experience learning that stuff. Now magazines fold as magazines fold. So I I moved on from there and ended up at a startup that one of my clients uh, had recommended to me, uh, a company called Curse uh, with a a very personable Frenchman named Hubert and his brother, Frank. And uh, I joined the company as employee like 27 or 30 or something like that and was there for a couple of months and they fired almost the entire sales team. (laughs) And Hubert came to me and said, hey, bro, you're the head of sales now. There's you and the East Coast guy that we just hired. Go figure it out. Uh, did they tell you so, why they kept you? Were you were you the cheapest one on the payroll, or did they see some promise or something in between? 
I was not the cheapest. Okay. I was not the cheapest. Um, but I think he looked at what I was doing and he looked at the way I was running the business and trying to move the needle and felt like there was an opportunity. I, I was probably the least experienced VP of sales you could probably you could possibly find. Certainly probably one of the most efficient though, I will say, for a VP of sales. Mm-hmm. Um but it was a, it was such a great opportunity to 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 learn and work on things, um, and I was there for for six years. And over those six years, we took revenue, uh, you know, upwards of sixty million um, wow. in indirect revenue and ten million in direct. We opened up offices in uh, London, in Berlin, uh, in Sydney. Uh, and we had, you know, a New York office as well as an LA office and, you know, really built out a a really great piece of business. And, you know, we had an esports team. Uh, if you remember the old days of team curse forever fourth, uh, they're now currently half of, of team liquid. Um, and so I, you know, I was selling esports back in 2010, way before it was cool. Uh, not quite before, you know, Sepso and, and then the, you know, and, and Jason and the OGs, but certainly back when it was not sexy and you would have conversations with hardware companies and they would be confused why they would be paying you for anything. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, let alone like, you know, like maybe we'll give you free equipment, maybe, but it was, it was a different time. And then they had a, a YouTube MCN and all that stuff. And it was a really fun, creative opportunity to get out there and sell in the space. And, you know, the business decided to move towards VOIP technology mm-hmm. um, and which is what ultimately got it bought. So it was absolutely the right decision. Uh, and that's when I got a phone call from Andy Swanson and the team at, at Twitch saying, hey, we're looking for an East Coast sales guy. We believe there's sponsorship money out there besides okay. me- media money. And we'd like to bring someone in to try and f- figure that out. And so I joined and I, you know, I said, hey, this is a great opportunity, great time for me. Uh, it was tough to leave a 30 person organization that you ran to, to a team of one again, but it was just such an opportunity to be at a company like Twitch who had just been acquired by Amazon. They were, you you know, they were, they had the up and up. They were really focused on building out esports products and working with teams and really helping to, to create value for the ecosystem, but they needed people to figure out what to do. And so for me, that was a really great opportunity to say, okay, like I'm going to put the ego away, right? I don't want to, yeah. I'm not going to manage a team anymore, mm-hmm. but I can be a part of the future success of esports in a big way. If we can do things correctly, if we can make this stuff work. <laughs> yeah. And Twitch, you know, comes out as the dominant player in the live space and around esports. Like there's a lot of good that I can do in this space that, frankly, I, I want to do. Um, so that was the big yeah. reason why I left and I went to Twitch and, and, and did that transition. And it was it was hard to start out. There was not mm. a lot of uh, focus. There was a lot of different things popping around. You had, you know, OG Twitch people leaving, new Twitch people coming on board, trying to figure out where we sat. Obviously, media sales is, is a majority of their business. Right. So how do I fit in in those conversations? But it was a, it was a really fun journey to kind of get up to speed and, and kind of come to that, that opportunity. And, you know, I, it was a big reason why after almost seven years, I, I, I've, I've moved on to an opportunity with Epic and with, you know, super awesome because they're, they're in a very similar situation when it comes to the metaverse. 
And so I think, you know, being true to yourself sometimes, uh, can be hard, especially when you've built something incredible Mm. and my time at Twitch, I'll never, I'll never forget it. I'll never take it for granted. It was such an incredible opportunity, but the, the work we had to put in the, the time, the Mm. effort, the creative, uh, juices to make Twitch what it was to be able to sit on a stage and talk credibly, um, you know, that's the stuff that people don't always see, right? The, the right. hours in meetings, trying to figure out what our next assets were going to be. Are we going to launch this, not launch that? Who are we going to partner with? You know, mm-hmm. how are we going to get deals done? You know, all that stuff was, was, was hard when it was a difficult process, but yeah, you know, and that's part of my whole outlook is I've worked for smaller companies. I've, I've been the small fish in the big ocean. Yeah. And so when I got to Twitch, I just felt really compelled that it wasn't just about, Nathan doing well or Twitch doing well. It mm-hmm. was about the industry doing well and cool. the people within it doing well. And that was, you know, that was important to me. I mean, not everybody has to do that, but I think there's a lot of great people in this space and you've been to enough events, you know, yeah. uh, you know, that's something that I really enjoyed uh, sharing in success and, and seeing the industry rise together, but also arguing over the, the, the direction of it and where it should sure. and shouldn't go. All those things were, were really helpful and really, I think, a part of my decision to come on board. And I'm just very thankful that when I went through the interview process and my, you know, my boss, my boss's boss at the time, the CRO of Twitch, uh, mm-hmm. Jonathan Simpson Bent, you know, he said to me, he's like, what, what's your, what's your problem? What, what have I got to worry about with you? And huh. I was like, well, I'm a bit of a bull in a china closet. He's like, Great. I like that. I'll, I'll manage through that. I said, okay, great. Like I'm too passionate and I work too hard and I care I'm gonna, too much. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break some stuff. I'm going to break a lot of stuff, but we're going to yeah. find some really great, you know, some great victories and we're going to find some great opportunities. And, you know, he and I sat down a year later and he was like, yep, you are exactly what you said you were. <laughs> well, one thing that I'll say, uh, some experience I've had in the last few years is working with somebody who is like a, a really a doer. And sometimes she runs ahead too much and does too much doing. (laughs) But what I have said is it's so much easier to pull somebody back than to push somebody forward. Mm -hmm. And like if you have somebody who's continually running ahead and you have to pull them back, that shouldn't, you know, there's a conversation to have there maybe, but that's not a complaint to have. It is way harder to push somebody forward who's like, I didn't know what to do, or I don't know what to do with anything, or I'm lazy. And it sounds yeah. like you are somebody who you're running ahead, maybe you bump a few China cabinets, but um, you know, the the management has to maybe pull you back a little, if anything. Yeah, I think that that's, you know, uh, that's opportunity, right? Like, we're in a situation where of you know seven years ago there was still a huge land grab opportunity in the world of esports especially around broadcasting and and that kind of stuff and if we weren't smart about the way we did our business if we didn't you know say yes to things say no to things we never would have gotten to where we were uh you know building out the the rlcs uh was an incredible opportunity Uh, and being you know working with justin delario who's now at entain you know we built something that was incredible but we built it from scratch with our friends at psionics and yep. uh, and it's 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 an it's an amazing product to this day but psionics runs it and so <laughs> you know when when 2018 came around and they decided to take it and do it themselves uh you know that left new discussions and what are, what is twitch going to do next right and what right. is our next move and and that was when you know 
I wouldn't say luck, but it was opportunistic that, hey, you know, this idea of Twitch rivals came along. And, you know, is it is it cool if if Ninja and Shroud beat up on, you know, Tim and and and, uh, and <laughs> yeah. Doc? Like, is that cool content? Mm-hmm. And, you know, what we realized was that the industry was fairly narrow at the time. Hmm. And, you know, we were saying to ourselves, well, why can't esports be more inclusive? Why can't there be wider definitions of what esports can be? Sure. Uh, and can creator led esports be a thing, right? Like everybody's, everybody knows they're good. They're not good enough to be in the Fortnite World Cup, right. but they know that they're good. Yeah. So how do we how do we how do we you know find that opportunity for the crossroads? And and Twitch Rivals has been an incredibly successful program from you know creator engagement to brand engagements to viewership engagement. Like it's just it's been awesome. But it, it wasn't an obvious answer back in 2018. I'll tell you that. I bet. Well, I I have a, a kind of targeted question here. Which, and I'll tell you my context and experience with it after, but the question is essentially how did the ownership of Amazon affect Twitch, what you did at Twitch, what you're able to do from a sales standpoint, or just how you guys operated? The reason I ask is uh, when you were at Twitch for part of the time, I was at GameStop leading partnerships. And I can tell you, the reason why we never did a partnership with Twitch is because we could not get a purchase outside of the Amazon ecosystem. And so internally I was like, you know, like a little frustrated, Mm -hmm. but my business mind was, I mean, Jeff Bezos and his team are obviously brilliant and they think way ahead. I was like, wow, how incredibly smart you guys are that you you know, that we can't get a purchase out of the, you know, it's one click and it's your, it's a two day delivery, two day shipping with your Amazon prime account, just a perfect overlap there. So to go back to the question, how did that ownership affect in obvious ways or less obvious ways? Yeah. I mean, it it had a lot of impact and a lot of it was positive, you know, from my perspective, I don't know if, you know, I don't know how well we would have survived without AWS, right? Mm -hmm. AWS is an incredible, incredible tool that powers Twitch in a lot of different ways and makes a lot of our success feasible. So that was an easy one, I think, from that perspective. Mm -hmm. Uh, It certainly opened us up to a lot of of brand partners. Uh, Obviously, there's a lot of people that are already advertising with Amazon who are like, great, I can get really nice, like prestigious, um, you know, high above the line brand campaigns from Twitch. And I can do some like blue collar muscle, you know, performance driven campaigns on Amazon. Like yeah. that's a, that's a dynamite conversation. Uh, so, you know, opening us up to the, the Amazon ecosystem, I think was really valuable. When you look at what Prime Gaming has brought to the space, the connection points, the opportunities, the benefits to consumers. It's really, really interesting. And, you know, at the end of the day, they brought a tremendous amount of investment to us, whether that was through their marketing divisions or through just being a partner in in what we're trying to accomplish, right? And Mm -hmm. the questions, the questions were very rarely, uh, you know, is this going to, is this going to be profitable tomorrow? It was, how does this lead to success, right? How does this, how does this yeah. grow down the road, right? Because at the end of the day, Amazon, I mean, they're just, I mean, if you never had a chance to talk to Andy Jassy, uh, it is an absolute 
privilege. He's a very, very smart individual. Mm-hmm. And he was one of the chief components of the Twitch acquisition. And he is a, a very smart individual who, you know, when, when they always talked with us, it was, it was always questions of future long-term value and goal and, you know, growing market share, growing our connection with the audience, because they understood that for them to be a successful, you know, media company, right? Mm-hmm. You need to expand your user base outside of, you know, 30 to 50 year olds who are buying stuff on Amazon. And, right. and Twitch, yeah. Twitch could do that, right? Twitch could also help with with ideas and stuff like that. And it's taken a while to to play out. But if you look at, you know, the opportunities around like Thursday Night Football and the NFL package now that that Amazon has, like Amazon didn't need Twitch for that, right? But integrating Twitch into that conversation with the NFL changes a lot of dynamics. It changes a lot of value exchange. Yeah. It's no longer just, hey, let me acquire asset rights. It's, hey, I'd like you to help future-proof my business in addition to helping me broadcast to the largest number of people possible. And I think that's oh. a very important distinction of if you look at the future of a lot of different passions, not mm-hmm. just gaming. Twitch has been a catalyst for that. And Amazon's enthusiasm, their partnership, all of those types of things were, were really essential for the company to grow and be successful. Like Twitch as a private company would never have gotten to this to this stage. Wow. And, and, and not, not, not at this point. And everything that Amazon did was to really infuse it with the success that it needs from whether it's, you know, Amazon values to everything else, it does make it hard with some partners. You know, we didn't get a lot of deals done with Walmart or Target or, uh, you know, GameStop. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But, you know, it it wasn't that that Amazon was necessarily against it. A lot of other folks were against it. And they understood that we we were going to run our business and that if competitors wanted to support our business, that that wasn't necessarily a bad thing for them. But they were definitely going to outspend them <laughs> on, on our service. Yeah. But, you know, I think overall it was, you know, it was looked at in a lot of different ways. I think early on it was like, oh, you saved them from Google. And then it was, you know, oh, a big company, little company. But at the end of the day, it's been, at least from my experience coming in there and being a part of it, it would never have been the success that it is today without Amazon being, you know, empowering and encouraging and also, keeping its its distance to a certain extent and encouraging Emmett and the leadership team to really, you know, bring out the best in what they could, in what they could produce for the, for the service. Sure. Uh, one topic I'd love to get your insight in, and I think that audience is going to get a lot out of this is, you know, you've, I think it's really cool that you're an expert in sales. You know, you're not just like the gamer guy who's like, you know, like outside of gaming and esports, like you are a proven successful expert in sales. Uh, you have experience, as you said, with Curse, where you're talking to people bef- like before <laughs> anybody knows or thinks they need esports, uh, all the way to at Twitch when Twitch is the buzzword, when esports is the buzzword, and it's like you got to get into it, and it's got to be through Twitch. Like I'm sure those conversations are m- much more complicated than just that, of course. But essentially, you've been on both ends of the spectrum, right, and everywhere yeah. in between. For brands who are looking to effectively engage the esports community, what are something some of the things that they should be doing to do that successfully? 
Yeah. I, yeah. <clears throat> I talked to a lot of people about like great sales strategies and half the time I just remind them like, if you're not listening more than you're talking, mm. you're already off to the wrong, you're on the wrong path. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a similar amount that goes into that with brand marketers and how they get into this space. I think, you know, when I look at value and I look at opportunity, I see a sustained engagement plan much more valuable for a brand than a one-off you know, uh, you know, program or, or, yes. or situation. And I think that a lot of folks <clears throat> at times are not honest mm. with themselves and their business. And they say they want, you know, oh, I want to, I want to do things. I want to be, uh, you know, they'll use the word authentic. I want to be all these things, right? What they really yeah. want is they want, you know, a, a cover article in, in ad week. They want to be on the front page of ad age. They want to be, you know, they want to win a can lion. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I'll be honest, like consumers don't care. Consumers do not care about that stuff. What consumers care about is you coming in and impacting their lives in a way that is positive for them to change or, you know, or double down their opinion of your brand. Right. And I think a lot of brands make the mistake of saying like, Oh, if I get in, I gotta, I gotta make a huge splash. I gotta do something gigantic. And sure. Some, some people do have to do that, but so often it is a very simple process of crawl, walk, run mm -hmm. and getting that experience and learning and kind of growing that over time. I have had, you know, my, one of my favorite partnership deals that I ever worked on, uh, was Jersey Mike's. Okay. And we went down to Jersey Mike's, <clears throat> had a meeting with Jeff and Katie, the, on the marketing team down there. And they just said, Hey, like, we, we don't know this space. We have no idea we think it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Like what, what, what should we do? Like, how should we attack this, this industry? And some sales reps would be like, great, you know, here's my, here's my eight figure, you know, sponsorship deal for this live event and let's do this. Right. And, and I, yeah. you know, we sat down and I said, guys, like, what do you, what do you want to spend? Like, what are you comfortable with? And, and what are, what are your KPIs? Like, how do you, how do you even, how do you even validate success? Right. And, and we, and I learned a lot from those questions and I learned a lot from just understanding what their business was and what they were trying to do. It was about sales, but it was yeah. also about growing, right? They're a growing company. They are over 2000 stores now. Uh, at the time they were only like 1300, I think when we started working with them and Subway has something like 10,000 worldwide. <laughs> so, wow. you know, they have a ways to catch up, but sure. they were looking for, just as much value in terms of prestige and stuff like that as they were driving sales. And so that's why a team liquid partnership made so much sense. There was a lot of creativity. We could really harp in, you know, we could harp in on some of the things that they were doing with college sports. We could replicate some of those things yeah. within esports. And we built out a really successful program that they invested um, by all <laughs> by all estimates of today's market, a very modest first year investment. Mm. But after the first year and the success, we've moved that into a multi-year, uh, multi-million dollar partnership over, you know, that we grew and we stepped up over time, but we proved the success. Right. And I think so often people are anxious to come at someone and say, let me get as much money as I can from you. And not thinking about the fact that this is business that, you know, needs to grow over time and, and over, over, uh, decades potentially. Mm -hmm. And for brand marketers, you also have to think about that and you have to, to a certain extent, you have to think about and cover your FOMO, 
right? Mm. You have to, you can't worry about, oh, my, my competitor is doing Y or my competitor is doing G. Like, <clears throat> it doesn't matter. Like, it matters what your brand is doing, what you're going to accomplish, and how you're going to prove that success to your leadership, right? Because mm-hmm. you're going to spend money. What are you going to get back for that? And, right. and I think the biggest mistake, the two biggest mistakes that brands make is they go into the esports space and they say, I'm hungry. I want to eat. Okay. Right? There's a lot of solutions for that. Right. And what I see is a lot of brands getting paralysis by opportunity mm. because it's like, ooh, I could do this or I could do this or this or this or this or this or this. Right. And then it's like, I yeah. can't even fathom. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there are, and there still are infinite opportunities to do things in esports. Yeah. Uh, and with the, with the, the, you know, the flexibility around what esports even is, there's probably more options than there's ever been. Sure. Uh, absolutely. And, and so I think it, a lot of it comes down to, and a lot of what I tell brands is choose the right partner for you. Who, like, who is the right partner for you? Like, do you trust this partner? Is this partner growing in the way that you want to grow? Are their values the same as your values? If that's the case, then, then, then pick them mm. and work with it and work within their sandbox of, of opportunities, work within their tool set of opportunities. Good it boy. will allow you to narrow down what you can do, <laughs> right? Yeah. But it will also allow you to be more focused and, and, and think more long-term. So I think it's really important to vet partners to decide like, you know, is this a, is this a partner that's going to be with me in two or three years and, <laughs> or five or five that's or 10 years. That's an important years. question in this space. Yeah. And if you don't feel that way, then either they're not doing a very good job articulating their value and brand and their partnership, or they're not right for you. And I think that's, that's totally okay. But that's something that I think a lot of brands struggle with is they want to buy into the hype. They want to buy into what's cool and exciting or what their kid says is the most popular thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those partners may not be able to work with them, care right. to work with them, or be set up to work with them long term. And, and that can really be just as devastating to a partnership to come in, do one thing, have it go okay or, or great or whatever, and then just be gone. Yeah, I love that perspective of number one, you know, vetting out a lot of different partners and then avoiding, yeah, that analysis by paralysis or paralysis by analysis with finding somebody who you foundationally, culturally have a very similar vibe. So, you know, you can do some of the stuff that feels right for your brand and it also feels right for their brand and then saying, okay, within this partner, what are those possibilities? The other thing that I can really, really relate to is the listening piece, which is... <laughs> When people would come to me at GameStop, people would assume uh, that, okay, sales or market share or whatever is my goal. Now, of course, sales is always a goal, especially at GameStop. But um, what I wanted to accomplish was people coming into the store consistently nationwide. And so a lot of people wouldn't guess that, right? And it was because our associate was our competitive advantage. You go to Walmart, Best Buy, Target, you go to Amazon if you don't know what you're looking for. Like you can't find the right game or the safe game for your kid, especially during Christmas time. When yep. you know, you can't download something, you want to buy a physical, you don't, you know, all this. And so if somebody came to me and said, John, I can drive f- store traffic to th- your 3,700 stores in the US, it's hard to say no for that deal. And 
you know, the reason they would, you know, so find the problems that need to be solved and use your brand as the solution for partnership. Would you agree? Uh, too often, I think sales reps talk at people yeah. and not with people. Uh, mm-hmm. If they come in and they're like, hi, we're esports team X and we're incredible and you obviously want to be a part of it. And we win all these games and we make all this money and we have all these amazing influencers and the brand's like, okay, but you're not solving my problem. Right. And, exactly. and, and it doesn't matter, you know, if, if I don't care about you holding up a trophy with my logo next to it, right. Then, then those those, those trophies are, are, are worthless in, in a lot of aspects. And I think that that was one of the things that I learned early at Curse because when you, you know, when I was at Curse, it was, you know, IGN, GameSpot, Future, like Wikia, which is now fandom. Mm-hmm. Like we were, we were, we were on the low end of the top 10. You weren't selling and, Twitch at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, but that was a really good time to have to figure out how to sell value. Right. Right. And to, and to understand what clients needed because too often they would call up one of those other competitors Mm -hmm. and they would get a cookie cutter media program or a cookie cutter solution. Mm -hmm. And they were like, well, this doesn't really accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish. Right. Um, And, and I'll tell you, you know, one of our first million dollar a year partner at curse was Dell Mm -hmm. and their alienware brand. And the reason we were able to do that was because Dell was really trying to push. They have a, pri- a product that is a higher cost skew than the yep. average you know, laptop and desktop. Yep. They needed to prove out that value. So a partnership with Team Curse, where Team Curse could show off right, the high-level value of that product made sense. So yep. we were able to package up a program where Team Curse... Would, you know, they have partnerships with them. They would use the products. They would create content. Although, and we tied it in with media. Mm-hmm. But, but that helped Dell to be able to set credibility for Alienware, to be able to move, you know, their products and their things forward. Which again, you would think, okay, yes, my goal is sales, but how I get to sales, <laughs> right, might be different, right? And Dell and Alienware was also just as much about continuing that culture mm-hmm. and keeping a customer mm-hmm. and that retention part was just as important to them because it wasn't just about, Hey, you bought one Alienware. It's how do we get you to buy the third one? Right. Right. And we do that by unlocking value for you. Right. As mm-hmm. you're, you know, when you, once you buy in, you're a part of the club, right? Yeah. BMW does this. Mercedes does this. Porsche does this, right? Every luxury brand goes, hey, cool. You bought our product. You probably paid more than you should have for mm-hmm. that product. We're going to reward you with things that you care about. And so for Dell, it was building out that larger um, idea and that larger value that if we hadn't had that conversation, they would never have known that. And yeah. that's where I, I see a huge... Like when I came to Twitch, a lot of my colleagues... Uh, who were sellers, especially later on at Twitch, you know, we're just kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. What's your budget? Okay, yeah, we'll send you a proposal. And you're like, okay, but what what are we trying to solve here? Like, what what right. problems are we trying to fix here? That that's what needs to get discussed. That's what needs to get figured out. And, and that was the reason why we were so successful in properties, especially with you know Twitch rivals, uh, yeah. was being able to be solutions oriented, to let rivals mm-hmm. be something that allowed them, these brands, to be a part of something every single day, yeah. but also have entitlement opportunities to let their brands be seen 
at the highest possible level. But every one of those partnerships required weeks, if not months of conversation around what was actually important for the brand partner, what was actually going to be their KPIs, how are they going to evaluate the partnership? Otherwise, yeah. you're just you're you're just doing one and dones, and, and that's that's not how the industry gets moves forward. Yeah, what I'm hearing from you, and it reminds me of something that is one of the most important things for partnership. And it sounds like at Curse, like you know, maybe this is because this is how you had to sell, but is the willingness of your partner. And there's it, it's so difficult a lot of times to do a deal with the number one market share, the number one entity, whatever that is in that industry, because they don't need you. But when you do a deal, right? Because it's like, hey, I'm Twitch, I'm GameSpot, I'm whatever, and I got money rolling in, and you know, and maybe that's not the reality, but that could be the perception, right? Of course. And you know, hey, if you do this deal with me, somebody else is gonna pay me that, you know, buy that media package, whatever. Well, if you have somebody who also has a need, and you're fulfilling each other's needs, that willingness is gonna come through where you're gonna get more value out of your deal. They're going to be easier to work with. If things aren't going the way they should, there's a willingness to work through it. And I think that's incredibly important. I do want to, uh, this episode has gone fast because you're just a a great conversationalist. (laughs) I do want to give you an opportunity to talk about Super Awesome. What are you doing there? Why does it matter? And what do people need to know about Super Awesome? Yeah, I'm still early in 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 the stages, so I'm learning all about it. But I think from their perspective, right, just when it comes to the mission statement of trying to make the Internet just a better place for for young adults. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's just it's something that I can believe in. It's a mission statement that uh, starts at the top. Dylan Collins, the CEO, all the way down to the organization feels incredibly compelled to make things uh, safer. Uh, less toxic, uh, and, and and building incredible things. And for me, that's a really exciting thing. I, you and I have, have children of similar ages, so yeah. uh, a lot of that stuff plays into your heartstrings. Yep. But just in the same way that, that you know, I look back 10 years ago on esports and where it's grown and how it's evolved and, and my imprint on it, there's an opportunity now to be at the forefront of how we think about advertising to young adults, how we think about um, the way in which we conduct ourselves online, how we build uh, you know, things like the metaverse for to be inclusive and empowering places for creativity and community to shine. Like all those things are really, really exciting for me. And I think that was a big reason why I wanted to take the opportunity uh, to come on board. Epic's no slouch. Uh, yeah. Epic Games is, is doing things the right way. I've always been very uh, inspired by the crew that is there, by the people that run that company. So having that opportunity again of, you know, I feel like I'm going back uh, in a lot of ways to that same inflection point at Twitch where, you know, they had been acquired by Amazon. And it was like, great. Now, how do we figure out how to be success, right? How do right. we how do we change the industry for the better? How do we evolve? How do we make creators? Uh, how do we help them monetize their passion? I feel like a lot of the same things are coming in here when it comes to Super Awesome. And that, to me, is the most exciting part uh, of what I'm able to, to do and accomplish is if I can look and see you know, the effects of what we're doing now, 10, 20, 30 years from now, as like the the gold standard of how you market and, and connect with people within the metaverse, you know, I'll, I'll be really proud of that and I'll be really inspired. And, and hopefully my daughter will still return my phone calls at that point. Um, you know, and, 
Yeah. But I think when you look at that type of opportunity, the type of moment, the industry that we're in, I, I like that ambiguity because it, it gives me something to work and, and kind of grind towards every single day. And I think that that's going to be uh, a really important part of, of what I do over there and, uh, you know, contribute as best as I can to, to what they're, they're trying to get done, which is, is very noble, very noble stuff over there that I'm, I'm excited about. Yeah, you know, it was it's cool, uh, you know, when I saw your announcement about I'm leaving Twitch and I didn't think it was going to be a step down. I don't think anybody <laughs> did. But, you know, what a career arc, right? I mean, you're going from an Amazon-owned company to an Epic-owned company. And, you know, especially in this industry, in entertainment, sports, whatever, there's so many things that we can do that are fun or cool. Are those cosmetic things, the glow up? The Instagram account looks, you know, is on mm-hmm. point, but it's really something special when you can serve a human need that is something that is needed and even affects your family personally as well as families across the globe. I think that's tremendous. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I think what's interesting too is that like I don't get to these opportunities without the industry, right? One of the things that I, I chuckled about was uh, Cameron Payne, who's, you know, at Epic, has been at Epic for a long time. He and I worked together on Paragon back oh, wow. in the early, in the early 2010s. And yeah. he's now, you know, working on, on Fortnite creative and he's an important part of, of kind of like what super awesome is trying to accomplish and building out the metaverse. And, you know, when I got to interview with him, it was like, Hey, you know, it's like everything comes around. The people that yeah. I worked with, you know, when I was at Curse, when I was at GamePro, when I was at, you know, Twitch are coming around again. And mm-hmm. it's just such a small industry. And and I think that that plays a really important role in how you treat people, right? Yes, whether it's absolutely. you, whether you have to treat them that way or not, it, it is always imprinted on me very much so that you never know right? Who's going to be what? Who's going to do what? Who are you going to meet up with a later date? And, you know, are they going to like you or not like you, right? And that's right. going to, that can play an impact on your career. And yeah, I've just been very fortunate that people, um, you know, are, are comfortable with my pants game, uh, are happy to, uh, to let me talk at times and, and honestly to be great teammates. I mean, I, I try to deliver on my promises. I think it's an important part of, of doing your job, uh, yeah. and building that trust with people in the industry. And yeah, I, the, the most important thing you can do, you know, I think is just take the time when you don't have to take the time. And if you can mm, do that and you can show people that you're willing to do that, I think it changes people's mindsets all the time and they'll be genuinely happy for your successes and they'll be genuinely inspired to help uh, if you have any failures. That's well said. And, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time for me and for the audience today. Um, this is a great first conversation. I look forward to <laughs> to many more off the record. Um, how can people follow you and Super Awesome in the ways that you would like them to? Absolutely. Well, you can follow me on uh, on LinkedIn if you want. I'm just Nathan Lindbergh. Uh, I'm also available on Twitter, at uh, the real Nate. I'm uh, pre-Oprah. Very proud of that. Uh, so I got in early. And, and yeah, I mean, Super Awesome uh, is just, uh, the website is available. There's uh, social handles. Um, and then obviously, uh, for those that, that would partake, uh, playing... Fortnite, playing uh, Rocket League, any of those uh, great games that Epic makes. We appreciate that, using the store, um, all those types of great things. Uh, and hopefully, you know, as a byproduct of this, I'll meet some more great people, John, and uh, get to make some more magic in the space. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely call out to the audience. Follow Nathan, follow Super Awesome. They're doing amazing things. And, you know, business is so much about 
who you do business with and, and uh, connecting with great people in the space. And you're obviously one of those people. So thank you today, Nathan Lindbergh, for joining me today on the DLC Drop Podcast. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futuri Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review.